Well, good morning, everybody. I'm going to try and preach from down here. Hopefully that doesn't mess with the sound, because you'd be too far away if I was back there. It's a long way away. And uh, I got both hands free, so I can just hold my notes like this. Well, this is fantastic. My name is Paul Graham, and uh, I'm the lead pastor at Lakeside Baptist Church, for those of you that don't know me. And uh, this is just my second summer here in Halliburton, and uh, so I'm kind of the new kid on the block. First opportunity, I get to preach, I guess, at the Summer Sizzler. That's the way it goes. If you're not around when they make the decisions, they slot you in. And uh, yeah, yeah, you're next, Harry. Comes around, goes around. So, uh, but no, it's been fantastic coming to uh, minister here in Halliburton, and particularly with the ministerial, uh, working with the other pastors and um, the other ministers uh, is an awesome, awesome privilege. When I came here, I had no idea what to expect in that regard, and uh, we get together every two weeks, every second Tuesday, we get together to just encourage one another and pray and talk about our ministries, talk about how uh, we can uh, encourage our congregations and to um, uh, build up our volunteers and how we just all work together on the mission of God. And so when I was thinking about that and thinking about being gathered here as all the churches together, I just felt like this was the opportunity to talk a little bit about mission and how we do the mission of the kingdom of God. And so that's what I hope to do with you today, uh, just looking at a few verses. Uh, just dig into this idea of mission and what it means for us as the church, as the church united, as Harry would say, uh, the church united and how it also would apply to us individually. And so there's one verse, sort of a go-to verse that you go to when you ask, what is the mission of the church? Anybody think of a verse, the mission of the church that, that Jesus gave us? What's our mission? Throw one out there. Matthew 28, 19 to 20. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that did you and lo i'm with you always to the end of the age is that my cable or is that this cutting out okay and so that's that's our mission that tells us our mission but the thing about that verse is it doesn't tell us a lot about how we're about to go about doing it and and i think that's purposeful because there are lots of different churches uh, just in Halliburton, there's lots of different churches in the world and different times and different cultures. And so, so Jesus gave us a mission, but he didn't spell out exactly how we do it. And churches all over the globe, uh, even in this very village and in this county, do that mission differently. And that's good. There's diversity in the church. There's a diversity of cultures. There's a diversity of music. There's a diversity of customs. There's a diversity of traditions and histories. And so when we are bringing the good news of Jesus, we bring it as the church in a diverse way. There's all kinds of different ways to accomplish that mission. And so I think it's purposeful uh, that churches all find different ways to accomplish their mission different from church to church and culture to culture. Christians look and act differently all over the world. And so we expect that mission to express itself differently. And uh, But there's another commissioning statement that Jesus makes. And it sounds a little bit different than this one. 
And, and that statement actually comes loaded up with a little bit of instruction, not just what we are doing as a church, but how to do it. And I don't, I don't mean how to do it in terms of the method. It, he doesn't say, you know, thou shalt have small groups on Wednesday night and you will have a youth group on Friday. And he doesn't talk about it in that way. But this commissioning statement that Jesus gives his disciples and gives his followers actually tells us a little bit more, goes a little deeper into how we are to do it. And this is what he means. And this is the verse that I would put with Matthew 28. And it's short, and it's sort of tucked in the middle of some other very uh, important and very uh, distracting verses in a way. And so you might not have noticed it. But despite its simplicity, I find it carries just staggering implications for how we, as followers of Jesus, are meant to do ministry. And the verse is this. It's John 20, 21. So if you have your Bibles, your cell phones, or whatever, you could go there and just think of John 20, 21. And he says this to his disciples, to his followers. He says, again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. So there's the commissioning verse. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you, he says to his followers. And it's a pretty short verse, and it's pretty innocent looking when I first looked at it a couple of weeks ago to think about what to preach on. But there's a very troubling little word in that verse. It's it, it, it's a difficult word. It's the word as. And that little word carries with it in that verse so much weight and so much freight that it carries the whole. Just ponder that phrase. As the Father has sent me. And if you remember your English lessons, you know that as is a comparison word, right? You know, it's like for similes, you use like or as. It's a comparison. It's used to compare things. So you would say something like, you know, this bed is as hard as a rock, or this blanket is as uh, soft as a feather, you know, or Harry sings as beautifully as Robin Mark. There you go. So it's a comparison verse, right? And so the, so what I mean by the weight that it, that it carries is that it's directly connected. The word as is directly connected to what it's comparing. And so, so you, you, I gave you some examples there, but imagine if you said to your kids, okay, so you, you're talking to your kids, and, you know, they're talking about the future and, and the sort of the family. And, and you say to your kids, oh, yes, you will receive an inheritance. Just as I will leave his estate to his children, so I will leave you an inheritance. Oh, just as Bill Gates will leave an inheritance, so you will leave an inheritance. Wow, that word as, I like that word as, right? That carries a lot of freight when it's used like that. Or, or, or let's consider something a little closer to our text here. Imagine if somebody uses the word like this. Uh, I've got something for you to do. Just as the beaches of Normandy needed to be taken from the Nazis, so I also have a mission for you. Oh, then it's just a small mission then. It's not a very big one because it's just as the beaches of Normandy had to be taken from the Axis. And so now as you move closer, we look at this word as in our verse, in our verse today, and you'll see what I mean. It says, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father sent me, I am sending you. As the Father has sent me, Jesus, the Son of God, as I was sent, I'm sending you, followers of me. And so while we're accomplishing our mission in the world, we have to consider ourselves sent into the world as Jesus was sent. And so you see what I mean by that little word as carries a whole ton of weight, for me at least. Because when I hear that word as, it's It's as Jesus was sent by the Father, he has sent his followers. Wow. 
Wow, we're supposed to be in the world doing our mission the way Jesus was sent by the Father. And so we can't possibly, I can't unpack all the freight of that today. There's a lot going on in there. But I'm going to look at two key verses quickly that I think inform us then of how we're to do mission. How we are to be sent as Jesus was sent. We need to know how was Jesus sent. And that's our verse, Philippians 2, 5 to 9. In in the letter to Philippians, Paul unpacks for us a little bit about how Jesus was sent. And the important thing to keep in mind here is he's not talking about the mission Jesus did. He's not talking about healing the sick and feeding the poor and the preaching that Jesus did. He's not talking about the mission that Jesus did. He's saying as he was sent to do the mission, before he even came. And that's what we have in Philippians 2. I'll read it again. In your relationships, Paul makes this connection, have the same mindset as Christ. In other words, imitate Christ as he came. And then he explains how he came, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. Amen. And the amazing thing about this scripture is that it calls us not only to be imitators of Jesus in his life and his ministry, which is what we normally think about when we think of imitating Jesus, right? We've all heard that before as Christians, that we should imitate Jesus, that we should try to be Jesus to people. And we need to do that and imitate the ministry that he does. But rather, this verse actually looks farther back than the ministry of Jesus. Paul's verses here are actually looking back and instructs us to be imitators of Jesus in his actual incarnation, in, in the way that he became man. And so this verse has to be expanding, I think, on John twenty twenty one because it's illuminating the very sending of Jesus from heaven that Jesus asks us to imitate. And it is its own instruction there to imitate. And so it doesn't say just imitate his ministry. It says imitate how he came, how he was sent. And so how did he come into these, into our world according to these verses? Well, the first thing we see is that Jesus came in poverty. And I use the word poverty there. I could have used humility. And, and, and you see that he humbled himself. And so the humility is the idea there. But I want to use the word poverty. Jesus had everything. When he decided to come from heaven to earth, he was giving up literally Beyond literally everything, Jesus is God. And he did not choose to hold on to everything that he had. And so when he came from heaven to earth, he came, and I want to use the word poverty, he came in poverty. And that is how he was sent into the world. Paul is emphatically clear here that Jesus is God. It says that he had the very nature of God. The word there is morphe in the Greek. And sometimes we get confused by that word morphe because we use it for transform and for uh, morphology and things like that. So we think it's just the shape of things. But that's not what the word means in the Greek. Morphe in the Greek means the very essence of a thing. If, if Paul wanted to talk about the form of thing, he had a perfectly good Greek word for that. It's schema, where we get the word schematic. And so if he was talking about Jesus came uh, in the image or the form or the outline of God, he would say it was the schema of God. But he didn't say the schema of God. He said the morphe of God because Jesus was in his very nature God and he gave up that nature in order to come 
to minister to us and to be our sacrifice. And so I say that Jesus came in poverty. So if we were to go as his followers into the world, we have to go in poverty. And I don't mean we sell everything and put on sackcloth and ashes and wander the highways that way. I mean a poverty of spirit. I mean we approach the world not with uh, arrogance and not with power and not with control and not with intimidation. We approach the world like Jesus approached it in poverty, poverty of spirit and poverty of approach. Jesus did not come to overpower. He did not come to dominate. And as his followers, that's how we are to approach the world. We're to approach the world in a poverty of spirit or we could say a humility. We have to engage culture in poverty. Not with any arrogance or aggression or power, but in a poverty of spirit. And no matter how much we as our followers feel that we are emptying ourselves in order to serve the kingdom or in order to serve other people with the ministry of the gospel, we cannot possibly empty ourselves as much as Jesus emptied of himself to come to serve us, can we? He emptied himself from being in the very nature God to become man, to serve us. And so no matter how much we empty ourselves, no matter how much we think we're going out on a limb, no matter how much we think we are uh, uh, humiliating or humbling ourselves to serve another, we are not coming close to the emptying that Jesus did. And so the first thing is that he came in poverty, and as his followers, we have to approach our ministry to our world and to our culture in poverty. And Jesus came. I mean, that's the most obvious thing, is he actually was obedient to come. He was sent. It's a missionary mission. He came from one culture so radically different than ours, heaven. We can't even imagine what heaven is like. He came from heaven down to earth. He, he came into another culture that was totally foreign and completely hostile to him. And so when we think of being sent as his followers, as the Father sent Jesus, we have to think of ourselves as sent into a hostile culture. And sometimes that's a missionary culture. Sometimes we say we think of missionaries, they go overseas, they go places the gospel's never been, they go to places uh, in the Middle East, or they go to South America, or they go to Africa. That's missionary work. But we have a missionary sending as we follow Christ right here to go into other cultures, to, to reach out beyond our own comfort zone, to reach out beyond the culture that we're comfortable with and reach out and be sent to reach people with the gospel and to minister with them the way Jesus left his own comfort and his own culture to enter into ours. That's the sending that the Father did with Jesus. He sent him to a foreign place. And so we think, you know, we're comfortable with our bridge club, you know, or we're comfortable with our bikers, you know, I'm, I'm comfortable with my biker gang, or I'm, I'm comfortable if you're a teenager, I'm comfortable with the skateboarders. You know, I'll, I'll just minister to the people I'm comfortable with, people that look like me, people that talk like me, act like me. I'm going to minister to them. Then that's not being sent like Jesus was sent. Because Jesus was sent into a culture that was completely foreign and completely hostile to him. And so he came in poverty, and he was obedient to come cross-culturally and to reach out to cultures that were different than him, radically so, infinitely so. And so, you know, it's possible if you're a sports jock, you're on the football team, you know, you could join the chess club, you know, for the sake of ministry of the gospel. You know, even though you are the quarterback of the football team, it's okay if you join the chess club. You know, and if you're in the chess club, you know, you could join the volleyball team. You know, you could stretch yourself that far. You know, to join another culture. You know, and, and, and Grandma, you can hang out with the skateboarders over here at the skate park. That, you can do that, right? Jesus came from heaven to earth. Grandma, you can go and hang out with those skateboarders. You can do it. I mean, it's possible, right? We can come from the cottage or the condos and come down to the rec center or to the food bank or to the four seas. We can do that. We don't have to stay in our cottages and our condos. We can come downtown here and we can minister to people. We can cross cultures to be sent as Jesus was sent. 
The obedience of Jesus in that sending served the whole world. He came as a servant. It says, by the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. So the third way that we are sent is that we're sent as servants. We're not sent to be served. We're not sent uh, into the world and come into the world to try to get everything out of the world that we can. Some people approach the world that way, right? They come into the world and they think, how much can I get out of the world? What can it give me? And what am I do? And what am I owed? And I'm going to get as much of the world as I can. That's not how Jesus came. He didn't come to get what he could from the world. He was sent by the Father into the world to give to the world. And so as his followers, we have to do the same thing. We have to be sent as Jesus was sent, as servants, not to try to grab as much as we can from the world, but to pour as much into the world as we can. The obedience of Jesus served the whole world. It served every nation. Every person has the opportunity to benefit from the sacrificial service of Jesus, especially his service and his sacrifice on the cross and by his resurrection. He served everyone, making the doorway open to everyone by his sacrifice to have a relationship with God. And so we, if we're going to be sent as Jesus was sent, we have to look at everybody and say we are servants to everyone. We're not just servants to a few people in our family or a few people in our church. We're servants to everyone. We have 17,000 people in this county that we are servants to because that's how Jesus was sent, to be a servant of all. And he became obedient, obedient to death. So he was sent obediently. Obviously, Jesus was obedient to what the Father asked him to do to be sent. But he was also obedient to the mission that he was called. And so we can ask ourselves, are we obedient in the mission that we are called to as his followers, as he's given us this commission, that he is sending us just as he was sent by the Father? Are we being obedient and self-sacrificial and in poverty? Jesus had nothing to gain by his coming into the world, and it was only his love for us that could cause him to enter into the suffering that he would endure. And we're gonna follow, as we follow him, we're going to be sent just like him too. You know, are we going to suffer wrongs as Christian? Are we going to endure hardships because of who we are and because of who we follow? Of course we will. You know, will we need to give up our rights and what may be fairly owed us? Yes, we'll have to do that too, just as Jesus did. And will we face unjust accusations? Yeah, we're going to face that too, just like Jesus did. But the love of Jesus was so large and his divine purpose to save us so fixed that he absorbed himself in our needs in order to serve us. And so if this is how Jesus was sent, and I'm on the home stretch here, don't worry. Don't worry, I'm, I'm getting there. I just wanted to take a little minute there just to look. You can't, you can't look at Philippians 2. You can't look at how Jesus was sent without looking at Philippians 2. You just have to because, I mean, that's the verse, right? And that's how he came, and we're told to imitate him there. But that, if that is how Jesus was sent into the world self-sacrificially, and then that's how he's sending out his followers, the other, the, there's just a couple other things I want to touch on here in the way in which Jesus was sent. And I want to look at that. Because the phrasing of the verse there is that as the Father sent me. And so really it's not even, you know, you know, do the ministry that I did and it's not even really come into the world the way that I came into the world. That's not exactly what it's saying, although it encompasses all of that. What it's actually saying very specifically is as the Father sent me. And so this verse is really about the Father. So what was in the Father's heart when he was sending Jesus? Because that's what he's saying. Jesus is saying to his followers, as the Father sent me, so I am sending you. So he has this heart to send out his followers, and his heart is the same as the Father's heart in sending Jesus. And so we can go to another easy one that you guys all know, John 3.16, and we will see the heart of the Father in sending Jesus. It is for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And so how 
was Jesus sent into the world? He was sent into the world in love, it says. It says, God so loved the world that he gave his son. The sending of Jesus was in love. And so if we look at John 20, 21, then our sending from Jesus as his followers is ascending in love. That means that our sending into the world, our missionary work in the world is not angry. We're not angry Christians, right? We're loving Christians. It's not arrogance. It's not fearful. It's loving. And this is, uh, you know, contrary to some of the Facebook posts you might have seen this last month. What an embarrassing month for the church in some ways, right? This last month. With that, just the, the, the posts and the tweets and the Facebook stuff. And people, sometimes it's hard to tell whether they mean well, they just don't post very smart. And, uh, you know, or, or, or maybe they just really do hate certain kinds of people. And, and that's not how the church is to be. The church is sent by the Father. The Son was sent in love. And we are sent by Jesus as the Father sent him. And so we are sent in love. Not to be hateful. Not to be angry. Not to be fearful. Not to be vindictive. Not to be judgmental. But to be loving. And so uh, just think about that the next time you're going to post something on Facebook. If it's not loving and it's not encouraging, please just don't post it. Um, so we are sent in love. But the second thing is that it is to bring life. John 3.16 says that he came into the world that none shall not perish but have eternal life. The purpose in the sending of Jesus was to bring life. And so we can think about that as we are followers of Jesus and we take this commission from John 20.21. We can think, how is our going forth into the world bringing life? How are we bringing life into the situation that we're in? How are we bringing life into our families? How are we bringing life into our church? How are we bringing life into our workplace? How are we bringing life to our to our neighbors, because it says that the sending of Jesus was to bring life. John seven thirty eight, Jesus says to his followers, he says, whoever believes in me, the scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. If you're a believer in Jesus, living streams of living water will flow out of you. And so if you're to be sent, if you're really serious today about following the commission, the mission of the church, and to follow the words of Jesus that says that we are to be sent as the Father sent him, that we're sent in love, and we are sent to bring life. And so we should be bringing life into the situations that we are brought into. Think about how you bring life as you engage with culture. And so now how does Jesus tell us specifically we should do it? Let's go back to our first verse, and then I'm done here. If we go back to the commandment from Jesus, he says, As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And there's just two little things I want to take away from that verse. The first thing is that he says, I am sending you, plural. God sent Jesus, singular, for the serve the whole world. And Jesus could do that because he's Jesus. Anybody hear Jesus? No. We're not Jesus. Okay. So so Jesus, when he commissions his followers, he says, I am sending you, plural. I'm sending you to do all this together. I am sending you as a united church. <laughs> I am sending you as united followers to do it together, because not one of you can do it on your own. We are to do it together. That's why we're here. That's why I had to preach this sermon today, because we're all here together. And so... The first thing we get from this verse is he says, I am sending you, plural, not alone. None of us come close to meeting the needs of our world or our nation or our town. None of us individually maybe can even meet the needs of our own family, let alone uh, a nation or a town or a world. And so it's the church worldwide. It's the church in Halliburton as a whole that we are sent together in unity. We are sent not alone, but together. And God promises, Jesus promises that when his church, working together, sent on his mission, what does he say? 
I think we referred to it earlier. The gates of hell cannot stand against it. The church will accomplish its mission when we are sent as Jesus sends us. And so we can be encouraged by that, that we work together, that we're not sent alone. We're sent together. And we look at Halliburton and we look at our churches and what we do together. I was just thinking of some of them as I was coming up here. I was thinking about the Pregnancy Care Center. Right, And I was thinking about all the amazing stuff that's going on there and Youth Unlimited and the rec room and, and Monarch Day Camps and the Four C's and the Food Bank and, and Overcomers and, and all these different ministry that I know dozens and dozens and dozens of you are involved in and that as churches we're all supporting. We're doing it together. Jesus is sending his followers together. He says, plural, I am sending you. And those ministries and that mission gets done in our community because there's a few people with a vision for going into the world the way Jesus did, right? Because Julie Goodwin had a vision for going into the world the way Jesus did. And then there were other people who were willing to support her in that and support the Pregnancy Care Center. It's the same thing for all those other, one, all those other ministries I mentioned. There are hundreds more followers of Jesus supporting them. And as a body of Christ, we're doing it all together. And it's not just those ministries. We are at work together and we're, we work together at home, we work together at school, and we're working together in the culture, right? We're not alone. Whether you're working at community living or whether you're a teacher at the high school or whether you're a nurse or a doctor at the hospital, we are working there with other Christians. And so we're not alone. We're doing it together. God has sent us on mission together. And that's what we're celebrating today, especially. But about, along with that, and even better than that, final point, is he sends the Holy Spirit. You can't read John 20, 21 without reading John 20, 22. And right after he says this to his followers that I'm sending you, this is what he says in the next verse. He says, and with that he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And so not only do we have each other, that, that would be good, but that wouldn't be great. Okay, like I can help you with some things, but I'm not as helpful as this. This is the Holy Spirit. Right? None of these activities and none of our efforts as the body of Christ have any effect except that they're done by and through the Holy Spirit within us. Right? Can some of my lighthouse and Pentecostal friends testify to this? Amen. Yeah. Testify. It's through the Holy Spirit working within us that we're able to do this, that we're able to be successful in our mission. And so we are not alone. We have each other and we are not alone because we have the Holy Spirit. When Jesus left his followers, he told them that he had to go in order that the Helper, the Holy Spirit, could come, and that it's only by the power of the Holy Spirit that the mission of God is accomplished. And so be encouraged. We have the commissioning of the Father. We have the example of Jesus. We have the sending of Jesus. And we have the receiving of the Holy Spirit in order for us to do our mission together as followers today. And so we should be encouraged by that. Jesus was led by the love for others into the world. Jesus was led to forget himself in meeting the needs of others. And so here's what it means for us. Self-sacrifice brought Jesus into the world, and self-sacrifice should lead us, his followers, into the world. Wherever people suffer, we should be there to comfort. Wherever people struggle, we should be there to help. Wherever people falter under burdens, we will be there to lift those burdens. Wherever people succeed, we will be there to rejoice with them. Self-sacrifice does not mean indifference to the world. It means the opposite. It means all-in, full-on engagement with other people. It means we don't just live for our own hopes and our own fears. We enter into the hopes and fears of everyone around us. Or in the words of B.B. Warfield, great preacher, he says, it means not that we should live one life, 
but a thousand lives, binding ourselves to a thousand souls by the filaments of so loving a sympathy that their lives become ours. Isn't that amazing? That's how Jesus was sent into the world, to bind his life to billions of lives. And he sends us just as he was sent, to bind our lives to the lives of thousands of others in our community to do his ministry and to do the work of the kingdom. And that's what we, in the ministerial, that's what we ministers get together with every two weeks and we pray our hearts out for. That we could lead our churches, lead the church of God to accomplish the mission in that way. In love and self-sacrifice, serving together the community we're called to serve. Let's do it together. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you that you've given us this commission, that you've given us this mission. Thank you that you've given us each other and given us your church to strengthen and encourage us. Thank you that you've given us the Holy Spirit in order to empower us to be able to do this. Father, thank you so much for your son, for his life, his death, his resurrection, and the salvation that he brings us to live these lives victoriously for you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.